In this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Lily Wilson, a veterinary surgeon who has created a new way of helping horse owners take the very best care of their equine partners. Today, we're going to be talking about needle shyness and what we can do to make injections a better experience for the horse and the handler. So here we go. Episode 158, Needle Shyness with Dr. Lily Wilson. I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony. Because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. Dr. Lily Wilson has a wide breadth and depth of passions and expertise. She's worked in practice treating pets, horses, and livestock in a variety of settings, including general practice in a hospital as an emergency clinician and volunteering overseas. She's done postgraduate programs in ecosystem health and in advanced veterinary practice. Her special interests are species-appropriate husbandry, anatomy and locomotion, pain physiology, ethical training, and mutually beneficial coexistence of people with the natural world. Lily is now combining her passions into a service that guides animal guardians to nurture all-round well-being and partnership. I think you're going to love this conversation on needle shyness. There's a lot of information here in this episode, and make sure you check the show notes for the link to her website and online resources for helping your horse get better about injections. She offers everything from free webinars to more supported online courses. All right, let's get right to our conversation. All right, welcome, Lily. Welcome back to the pod. (laughs) Thanks. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. And so for for those of you um, who don't know, Lily was on the podcast. I think yours was episode 118. Uh, so people can go back and check that out also, because I know, um, I'm sure many people after this episode will be like, I want more. <laughs> so we can get more Lily, Dr. Lily if you want. Um, and I want to thank you for jumping on today, because I know you just flew in last night or yesterday from um, what sounds like a pretty a pretty cool trip. And we started to talk about it. And I'm like, oh, let's save this because it just sounded so interesting. So yeah, can you share um, share what you were just doing before you came home? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was in Colorado for just under three weeks and um, actually 11 days of that. Um, was uh, in a very remote um, camping area in the Grand Mesa National Forest um, up at 10,000 feet. Um, And so all sorts of interesting ecology at that level. And what I was doing was a field course called Human and Natural Ecologies of Colorado. Actually, it was two field courses back to back um, with two different teachers, both of whom were excellent. and it was looking so looking at the landscape and at the plants that were growing in various different conditions um and learning that basically one of the things that they say is um 
we kind of want to get away from apologizing for our existence because of the damage that we have caused to the planet in some mm. ways because it is totally possible for us to be beneficial to the planet and um just kind of relearn um i was talking to one of the assistants and um i mentioned the word disconnect and he said oh no no you can't be disconnected we all are we all are connected you might feel a disconnect but you can't help but be connected um oh, wow. we were sort of came up upon the word forgotten i suppose forgotten our connection rather than actually become disconnected and it was incredibly rejuvenating and healing to do that just be in nature slow down hugely um kind of pay attention to the rhythms of the day and um you know, find where to get water by seeing where there's water loving trees, follow those willows down the hill and um, find where the beavers have made a dam. And um, there might be some medicinal plants down there. Um, there was some amazing subjects uh, touched upon about things like the intelligence of the land and of plants, um, how plants tend to grow in places where we might come across them when we really need them um food food or medicine um and partly that's because partly that's the plants but partly it's also because people have for thousands of years tended the wild and planted things um and in on a really on a scale of deep time so um a lot of these indigenous food food plants or or food plants that were used by indigenous people and still are um they are incredibly slow maturing. They wouldn't be suitable in a kind of commercial agriculture setting because some of them take 10 or 20 years to develop the, the food mm -hmm. part of the plant. So you might have a starchy tuber or something growing under the ground. And what would happen when people harvested them would be that they would plant some seeds back in the hole that they'd left from digging the root as an act of reciprocity and also to ensure that usually their grandchildren would be able to come and dig roots in that area again. You know, it's not a, they weren't going to come back next year and be ready. They would be tended for years to come. So it was, that was a, amazing to ponder that, how we move through the world so fast and uh, and we miss stuff as yeah. a result of that. Yeah. You just said so many huge things <laughs> in that little story. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I mean, just, just, you know, the um, delayed gratification, right? Mm -hmm. You're planting a seed for people who aren't even in existence yet, mm -hmm. perhaps, you know, thinking about that future, which is <laughs> amazing. And we're in a very uh, immediate gratification sort of time right now. And um, the fact that you weren't using Google, you were looking at the trees and the plants. Yes. But the, but the, the first thing you said, I mean, that's like such a deep spiritual lesson of we we can't not be connected, we've forgotten. And it's mm -hmm. just, to me, that just strikes me as like everything that I've learned in personal development always sort of comes back to that. Like, it's here, it's right now, we're the ones, you know, covering it up or putting up a veil or blocking ourselves that it's, you know, we are connected. Mm -hmm. We are connected. Yeah, uh, that's we amazing. We can't help but be. Yeah. And also, I think maybe the word you so wording is important because mm. using a word like disconnected might even have um, a degree of shame attached to it, 
Whereas, mm. you know, using something like you've forgotten and then also taking into account our current culture, you know, modern society, um, unfortunately, is even if you try, it's um, it, it's a little bit going against the tide to maintain that um, remembering of the connection sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, it's so funny. It's just stuff I think about all the time. And, you know, like, what are, why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing? And it just the message that keeps coming back to me is we're all here to remind each other that we are divine. We're, we're mm-hmm. here to remind each other. And so, yeah, just the, the way you phrase that is like, oh my goodness. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. That's well, beautiful. that's the show folks. <laughs> everyone's, everyone's connected. <laughs> yeah. You don't <laughs> need to try. Solve the mysteries of the universe. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, um, my husband, Dana's sister um, is really into, you know, organic, farming and plants and natural medicines and you know she's probably listening to this going that's not what i do anyway <laughs> she's into all that stuff but she she's always showing us the plants that are around the property and often how you know so you said that they grow where they're needed but like if there's um like for example we have nettles but she says you know where if you get into nettles you know and it stings she said look around because there's this other plant nearby that there's often the antidote and yes she said, you'll find this other plant and you can rub that on it and it'll take the sting away it's like yes just I amazing love that. yeah yeah anyway well that that's any other uh <laughs> tidbits <laughs> well there was, i think you might like this bit that um there's an observation that certain plants with medicinal qualities in the body so um i guess sort of the land of our souls um generally tend to have reflections in that where they grow in the land of the earth so you could have something for example that tends to be cleansing of your lymphatic system if you take it if you if you use it on your own land <laughs> um oh, and it has that effect in when it grows in the earth as well which is amazing. Oh. It seems the to, lymphatic to system of the up. earth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So there's this whole world underneath the surface of the soil, which yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to investigate because <laughs> it's the little bits that I've come across is trees, roots, you know, what's happening yeah. in there. Anyway, very cool. Um. Yeah. So, all right, this is supposed to be an episode about needle shyness. I'm going to just make a big jump there. <laughs> yeah, shift gears. <laughs> but, but, you know, in, in the spirit of everything's connected, it's just, you know, I think everything is connected. And so it, it's interesting. That's one of the things I love about what you do is, you know, you're a veterinarian and, 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 and I think all of these things inform every other one of the things um so just coming from the spirit of we're connected and you know the healing part of the land and you know that's got to um influence how you approach giving an injection to a horse <laughs> yes it absolutely does <laughs> yeah so um yeah so i wanted to to um, do the specific topic because it is so needed i mean just in the general management of horses, it comes up. And um, I'm just sort of curious, 
um, for you, like, did you want to focus on creating this course? And I don't, I haven't seen any other courses on this subject. Um, did you just see a sort of general gap in the information out there for people or were there some specific experiences with um, horses of yours or, or your clients that, that made you decide, Hey, I really need to, <laughs> to figure something out here. Yeah. So it is a bit of both of those two things. Um, definitely some specific experiences. Um, so <clears throat> I can go into a couple of stories um, and, and then kind of explain where I saw the gap, I suppose, because there is some information about needle shyness, um, but it's the, I guess it's the level of depth and complexity and where different horse human vet combinations might be coming from, um, might lead to some, some tailoring of approaches needed. Um, I mean, it's incredibly common to come across it in my day-to-day -day work in clinics, um, and not just in horses, but in lots of species, but in horses, it's particularly challenging because in smaller animals, we tend to successfully restrain them. Um, that could be a whole discussion in itself over whether or not that's uh, <laughs> that has any longer term <laughs> effects. So we'll go into that on the horse side of things. Um, but with horses, one of the things is it does become incredibly dangerous if they if they get into a state where there is a lot of fear involved. Um, then we can end up, well, there's all sorts of possible scenarios, one of which is being unable to give an injection, uh, two is getting hurt, uh, whether that's the person holding the horse or the vet or the horse themselves, um, three is being unable to treat something effectively um, or administer pain relief or something like that. Um, another one is... Um, the restraint needed potentially causing trauma that's held in the body and comes up in other ways and gets worse and worse the more you attempt to give injections. Mm -hmm. um, and so a couple of things that really deeply influenced me, um, I've done some volunteer work overseas in um, some charity clinics and I've seen quite a few of the diseases that we tend to vaccinate against. Um, so in the cases in those countries, it's usually that the vaccines are not easily accessible to people to use rather than that needle shyness is necessarily the, the sole reason for them not being vaccinated. But it is a possibility that if you had a horse that was so phobic, you know, that they, they couldn't be injected, um, and vaccinations were out of the question that um, you're at greater risk of some of those conditions. And that is, um, again, rather a nuanced situation because one of the approaches with needle shy horses might be really deciding which injections are actually necessary for your individual case, your geographic location, level of risk, um, maybe injection site that it needs to be given into, um, their current other healthcare and all of that, that kind of thing. Um, but there was one of the horses that we treated for tetanus. This was in Egypt. Um, it was just a heartbreaking thing because it's an incredibly painful, um, slow, well, it's a quite fast deterioration, but um, a very slow death. It's, it's bad. Um, and uh, I'll never forget this particular horse in Egypt who 
um i could i could see that he understood you know we were trying to help him but he was basically what tetanus causes is um an involuntary muscle rigidity everywhere and you end up with the horse unable to even move their jaw eat or drink it eventually affects the muscles of breathing um but it's it's very painful because if you have your muscles clamped like that for all of that time you know then you you get a build up of toxins and really sore muscles it was obviously very hot in egypt and um we tried really hard um the owner wanted to to give the horse every chance um but yeah i uh, we we unfortunately weren't successful and um and put him to sleep in the end when when he got to a stage where you know it's clear he wasn't going to turn a corner um and i just thought even if a horse were to recover from that that's such a big thing to go through your whole body going through such an ordeal like that and um much as there should be a discussion around the choice of vaccines mm-hmm. um which ones to give when to which individuals um it would just be it strikes me that that if it just wasn't an option because of needle shyness um what a terrible you know reason for for getting a condition like that oh, yeah so that's one thing that got me thinking um another one was a horse that was so needle phobic um this was actually as a result of um an operation that he had where he needed to be sedated and then have local anesthetic placed and it was following that that he developed the phobia there's various reasons why that could have occurred um but it re- it resulted in such an intense phobia that he knew when it was the vet just arriving on the yard and um almost couldn't remain tied up wow uh, he was so terrified you know kind of climbing the wall um and one day so um we kind of t- took a step back from any kind of injections he no lo- longer had any vaccines um he occasionally got some mild colic episodes and we tried using oral pain relief but one day he colicked quite badly and um he was still so needle phobic that despite his excruciating pain, um, he still was going to fight to the death to not have an injection. Um, And so basically we had to wait until he was incredibly sick to to treat him effectively with any pain relief. And luckily we did manage to turn it around. But that was also another situation where I thought, you know, there's got to be, there's got to be a way to reverse this at least at least partially to the the point where we have options for treatment sometimes unfortunately we we have to give an injection um it's not always possible to use alternative routes of medication um when they're in a very debilitated condition injections often need to go intravenously um and in cases where their guts are not working you can't get oral pain relief in um so yeah that was another where I thought, well, I I need to look into this and figure out how to approach, um, yeah, helping them to feel safe and understand the procedure. Yeah, wow, I can see how those those two stories could leave a huge impact. Yeah, 
So, so with, with those, I mean, I think the answer to most things is in preparation in advance, way before (laughs) things are necessary. Um, But just out of curiosity in, in a case where let's say, you know, the horse that has some phobia about needles and it's an emergency and you need to get something done. Are there, are there any ways in the moment that can help mitigate that? Or is, or is the answer really um, the the preparation, which is the ultimate answer, which we'll I'm sure go into. Yeah. So um, there are things you can do in the moment when it's urgent or an emergency, and there may be methods of restraint that are required, which you would prefer not to do if you were, um fully taking them through the process of preparing them with mm. with full understanding on their part and um we can go into this more but um with some agency in the process some uh, choice and a voice in the process basically mm-hmm. um builds a huge amount of um or reduces fear builds a huge amount of trust um there are so there are some medications that you can give by mouth which might be helpful um, you would always have to speak to your vet on an individual case by case basis, and by country there might be different formulations available and things like that. Um, <clears throat> but that's one of the things that I discuss in the course as some options where um, you might need a bit of oral um, medication beforehand. Having said that, certain types of oral sedation could actually uh, set you back if the horse feels that they are immobilized and they're still very much aware uh, okay. because that that you know adds to a, a trauma experience mm-hmm. where you, mm-hmm. you're unable to do anything about it so it's quite a nuanced subject hence why um, I do go into it in some depth um, but there are other things like say for example um so physical restraint is another thing that's a big subject because you can have types of physical restraint that are traumatizing and then you can have types which are helpful for for getting it done in a much quicker way and avoiding building that fear response up and up and up and up and up and up into a frenzy um so for example things like um things that we would maybe prefer not to use um, but which keep everyone safe, like having them in shoots um, or uh, or stocks or something like that. Because if you do have them uh, in a more loose situation, you might have to rely on physical restraint of the head. That would be, you know, that would be your only option, really. Um, and you're unlikely if they're in a, a huge fear state it's also unlikely to be very effective and you end up with explosions that are dangerous for people. And yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing that you could do in an emergency situation is change your route of injection. So you could, um, needle shy horses are very challenging to inject intravenously because you need them to be still enough for the precision of finding the vein and then getting the medication in um, so you could start with intramuscular, for example, although that's also quite nuanced because sometimes it can be incredibly painful into certain muscles and depending on what's going on in the horse's body uh, and depending on the, the drug used, you know, some have irritant qualities if they're not injected intravenously. Mm-hmm. So all of those things play in, but um, there are definitely things you can do. And 
because there's a spectrum of needle shyness, so you could go anything from um, they just kind of need to move their feet and they're not really okay, but you can get it done, um, all the way to dangerous explosive behaviour and unable to get anywhere near them, or completely shut down, standing still like a rock, but really not okay about it and possibly affected for days afterwards in what they are happy to participate mm -hmm. in with people, um, not wanting to be caught afterwards or things like that. So that I would yeah. also call that needle shyness, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, um, can't remember where I was going with that. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what to do. Jet lag. Yes. <laughs> um, what to do in an urgent situation with, uh, with those ones. If it's a kind of milder manifestation i suppose you might be able to use things like distraction techniques in the moment with lots of food um buddies standing right next to them uh all sorts of things like the type of environment you're in so not taking them to a completely different area of where they would usually be just because it's more convenient for the vet um making sure that they're in their familiar environment sometimes it can be as simple as that that you you don't mm -hmm. heighten you don't go up that ladder uh, too far before you get started. And also encouraging them to have a soft, low head carriage, especially for intramuscular injections into the neck, because a rock hard muscle will be more painful mm -hmm. and it will tend to be harder to insert the needle in a smooth way. And then once you've had one attempt, if they're fearful or there's underlying pain and it is actually very painful, um, to be honest, you might have lost your chance of doing it in uh, in that easier way for the mm -hmm. day. Interesting. Think, yeah, yeah. I think for the for some horses that have been through my barn that have they kind of they're not fully needle needle phobic, but they really would prefer not um, that in times where it has to be done to just like you said, having a buddy there, having a distraction, having some food you know, having their head down. And then two other things that I've used is there was one, one horse in particular, like we just put an ice pack on. And as if we put an ice pack on for 20 minutes before, it was enough that then by the time we ended the needle, it just took away that, that he was fine with that. So it was like, wow, we just needed the ice pack. Yes. And then um, the other thing that we've done is just sort of scratching them all, you know, really scratching. Cause um, you know, isn't it, isn't it true that like pains um, signals to your brain about pressure will get, get there before pain, just a split second. So you can kind of flood with information about pressure and scratching. And then the pain isn't. So for horses that are maybe not traumatized, but they just don't like the feel of it. I've found those sorts of things, you know, head down cookies, scratchy, 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 scratchy all over or the ice pack have been really good for those sort of on the edge to make the make it slightly less unpleasant and maybe even kind of pleasant if they really like the cookies or their neck is relaxed and that can start to it, it it'll at least keep it from getting worse or maybe it gets a little better the the ice pack horse was like that was all he needed he just broke that cycle of the the that initial jab and and that was all we had to do yeah yeah thank you for mentioning that that um uh, an ice pack is a good idea and um absolutely the 
um, a different kind of tactile sensation in a similar area to where you're you're going to inject and alongside the injection as well. Um, sometimes um, vets will uh, or vet techs will employ a neck twitch at the same time as an intramuscular injection. I actually prefer something like scratching um, because I think sometimes the neck twitch can slightly increase that um you know their their level of of uncertainty that's what i've seen they kind of yeah yeah so the scratching definitely it just it feels friendlier and like can i help you with this kind of vibe than um Mm -hmm. the neck twitch feels more like now stand still (laughs) yeah 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 cool (laughs) all right so those are some of the in the moment things but ideally we're thinking about this ahead of time and preparing horses. Um, and this is, I, I love this subject because I actually am a needle shy human. <laughs> like it's a thing. Um, I can give an injection, but I will avoid doing it. I'll, I'll work pretty hard to avoid doing it. Like for my horses, I'll, I'll get anybody else to come do it. Yeah. And I can, if I need to, but for myself, like I have a really strong vasovagal reflex and I'll hit the ground and have hit the ground. Um, so I even had some hypnosis on it. Now I'm like, I'm doing much better, but it's still a thing. And it's, and it's interesting because, you know, we, horses are not humans. We have different brains, but in this circumstance, I don't think it's my human thinking brain that's working in this case. It is a primitive part of my brain. Um, so I was thinking, you know, I have my strategies for when I have to go, you know, get blood drawn or something. And I know what makes it worse and what makes it better. And I I have a feeling it's very similar to with horses. So for me, it's worse if the, if the person is not friendly, it's worse if I don't feel like they're listening to me. That's actually Mm. a big one. Um, Like if I mention, you know, Hey, sometimes they faint and there's like no recognition of that Mm. fact at all. And they just go about their business. Or if I say, "Ow, that hurts and they make no modification (laughs) into what they're doing. Um, So if I feel out of control or they're rushing me like that, that if I, if those things are happening, I have to turn that around somehow. So it's better if I go in ahead of time with the mindset of I'm doing this to help myself this is making me healthier. This is my idea, right? Um, it's better if I make up personal connection. So I come in with jokes, man, I am the, just the most jokey, <laughs> jovial person at six in the morning at, you know, the quest <laughs> blood draw place. Um, so I'm trying to bring levity and I tell them, Hey, there's a good chance I'll faint. And then, you know, that often gets their attention or I'll crack a joke, I'll ask them something. And then, then I'm good. Or if I say, Oh, hang on a second. And then it can be like easy peasy for me, or, you know, I'll feel like hitting the ground. So um, I, I would imagine, is that similar to what we need to do? <laughs> for yes. I'm picking, I'm picking up tips for myself here. <laughs> on this episode. Yeah. I'll be listening. <laughs> yeah. So um two really big things that you just brought up one is um well it's it's like our our body's neuroception of safety which is not really a conscious cognitive thing um and that sense of whether somebody is attuned or totally misattuned that is a big red flag for our body just viscerally yeah. oh i might not be safe here 
Um, so that's one thing that is, it definitely plays into it with, with the horses. Um, it may have been more than two things. The second thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an expert in this. In, in, yes. in needle shyness. Absolutely. <laughs> <for me. laughs> um, so the second thing, and I kind of have two things to say about it. So it's kind of two things. Um, is that if you ask them to wait, and that's a huge, if if they're not willing to meet you there, that's another thing that will make you feel very unsafe. Um, and that might seem like a difficult thing to achieve with horses. And one of the things in the preparation for needle shyness is actually teaching them how to cue us to wait mm -hmm. in the process. Um, and that they can do that. It might be really quite revolutionary for some horses that they are are able to cue a person to wait in a um and it could be for for anything you you know transferable to other activities like mounting or bridling or picking up a foot. Mm. Um and the other thing that kind of comes from that is going back to um my recent camping trip, uh, slowing down, as it's hugely, I mean, it's hugely important. And our expectations for ourselves and our horses and all of the, uh, I guess, um, silent expectations or assumptions of judgments that other people might have of us, depending on how we act next. So things like having a conversation with the vet who's coming as to, Maybe if you're partway through this process, I've been doing some preparation, but I really want to honour how the horse feels. This is obviously in a case where it isn't an emergency um, and it's absolutely necessary to give an injection. All of those things come into account first. Um, but if you've decided you're booking a vaccination or a sedation for a dental exam or something like that, um, and just to... Uh, feel fine about have and have this in the open as a plan um if this really is not going to go today or in five minutes can we reschedule or can we give it longer and it's something that we often don't give ourselves permission to do and even just giving ourselves permission for that you'll often find that uh, it helps although i'm actually I've just realized that might not be a very helpful thing to say because then you might have that expectation. You're like, I don't have an expectation. And then I have this expectation <laughs> because I don't have an expectation. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it... they creep up on you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I had an experience with a vet that was coming here and I knew there was going to need to be an injection and I had been practicing with my horse and the trouble of my practicing was difficult because she was fine with me and even, you know, to poke her with a little pointy thing. Um, so the vet came and already I felt, you know, the horse getting defensive, but I was doing the same thing, like lower your head, you know, and I just say, ho, hold, good treating. And she came in to do the injection and the horse braced. And I said, oh, just hang on a second. And I asked the horse to lower the head. Good. And she was like, oh, oh, yeah, you're doing that thing. And she got, the vet was so excited. And she worked with me as she approached. And I'd say, wait, you know, and she knew the timing. She knew how to do it. But the vet did not offer that until she saw me as the owner doing it. And I thought, that's really interesting. And she said, yeah, most people don't know that. And so just from the vet point of view, 
if you know, don't feel bad bringing that up to your vet because you might be surprised. Like they might be really into it and finally have an owner that can do this with them because they probably don't see themselves as their role is to be a teacher or something like that. Um, So I love that idea of putting that out in the open, like, Hey, when you come, just so you know, this one horse I'm working with her and, you know, do you have a, you know, can you take a couple extra minutes and, um, or whatever it is. And, and I think if it was really a disaster and it wasn't a necessary injection that I would have been like, listen, like, let's not. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We'll do this next time, you know, pay, pay another barn call. It might be worth it. Yeah. And I think that's, um, it is, it feels great if a, if an owner is into doing that, because I mean, most vets don't want to go from call to call with animals terrified of them and having a terrible experience. It doesn't feel very good by the end of the day. You know, it's much nicer if we can bring that cooperation into the, the care that we give. Um, and, uh, having that conversation, sometimes it might be uncomfortable because there may be situations where, uh, that particular vet or um, you might get a response, say, if you're booking it in with um, the office or something where you feel like that request really, they're not ready to accommodate that right now. And that's also useful information. And yeah. you do have the choice to rearrange or or choose somebody else. You know, that's um, that yeah. is something that you can do for yourself and your horse, not just your horse, but it can lead to a huge amount of stress on the person on the yeah person's part we, as well we had a, a substitute vet come in once and and same thing like to give some injections and i had the same like visceral response as i did when i go in to get my blood drawn and this person you know was the horses were in the paddock he went into the paddock i'm putting the halter on and he was like sneaking them mm. he was just sneaking the shots and getting them done so fast that the horses were just like whoa what just happened but it was worse the next time. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, you don't mm. know me, you don't know my horses and you're just going around jabbing them. And it made it worse the next time a vet came to give an injection. Cause now they're like, yeah. don't trust that vet. He's sneaking around. Oh, that made me yeah. so, I'm like, just, you know, hadn't even in, never met me before. And he's out there jabbing the horse. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Like, so you're never coming back here. Never. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. All right. So yeah. So what would be um, the more ideal way to, to start to prepare? If you, if you're like, okay, I want to, I have a new horse or I want to prepare this horse as best as possible. And I know, you know, you have a whole course on this, so this is going to be a a nutshell, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but what's the overview of like where, where we would need to go with this? Yeah, so um, I guess it would be good to talk about um, one is kind of prerequisites to be able to give an injection without inducing needle shyness. Um, And then the next thing is uh, we should probably talk about classical conditioning and operant Mm -hmm. conditioning because those are options to to go down. and they may be more or less helpful for for different horses uh, and in the preparation if the horse has never had an injection before. So in terms of prerequisites, uh, it sounds really simple, but uh, is your horse actually okay with you approaching, standing in the position for the injection and even being touched? So sometimes when you... Uh, and and this can be a difficult thing to notice 
sometimes your horse is not even okay being touched in that area. And that could be if they're needle shy or if they have never had an injection. Either way, you need to get to the stage where they are completely comfortable and they feel safe being touched in those locations. So I, I guess generally that would be the neck, although some injections might be better given in into other muscle mm -hmm. locations. Um, and then you brought up the interesting thing earlier about you preparing at home and then the vet arriving. Well, that might be for a variety of different reasons. It might be that they recognize that specific person or even the car or the smell mm -hmm. of the, um, you know, things like surgical spirit and stuff, I guess we probably smell of. And, and so they associate it with previous experiences. But even sometimes it might just be the presence of another person in that proximity that they're okay with one person in that location. They're not actually okay with two people in that location, even just for being touched. That could be, you know, pairing back the, the layers right to the beginning. So that would be a thing to check out and that you can have mm -hmm. somebody um, either, well, probably vaguely known first would be helpful and then progressing to people they've never met before. And that can be an important part of the preparation. They could just be standing nearby initially or they could be um, participating in the, the preparation oh, themselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, and even things that may, in the, in the moment of um, it being a bit stressful when there's an injection happening, you may not remember um, that, say, for example, they can't see very well out of one eye or they don't tend to particularly like touch on one side or you've prepared them on one side and not on the other and you're actually doing it on the unprepared side. <laughs> Those are all, all things to take into consideration as well. Um, sometimes the sight of a needle and syringe can also induce the, the fear if they're, if they're already fearful um, or... Uh, if horses are particularly sensitive to new experiences, um, they could even, I suppose, get a heightened sense of worry, um, even if they've never had a, an adverse experience with a, a needle. So that's kind of, I would think about the prerequisites. And that would also include things like doing it in a familiar area, um, somewhere that's not too noisy and busy and have friends around and that kind of thing. Um, and another prerequisite is your mindset <laughs> and um <laughs> that, that can that can be a challenging thing especially in a, a case where you're treating you know you're worried about them because they're not well and having to treat them in that case so um plenty of self-compassion for how you're feeling as well you know not thinking oh I shouldn't be feeling this or um going down that road but uh certainly things like not rushing for the appointment so you get there all flustered and and you right. haven't got boss in yet and the vet's waiting and you're <laughs> things like that can really help you know you've had some time to do some things that are familiar to them you've got yourself sorted you're not running out of time so yeah all sorts of prerequisites like that can be really helpful and then talking about the two different kinds of um uh, conditioning so what we're really trying to do is turn something that is actually inherently unpleasant I mean who likes having an injection <laughs> um, <laughs> into something that's more neutral and that they still feel safe so we might depends on the individual but we might not get to a stage where they actively enjoy it uh, the actual needle going in and the injection um, 
but there's certainly lots of successes in zoos and things you know cooperative care settings with various exotic animals where um they very willingly present you know they need regular blood tests or something they very mm-hmm. willingly present the area they know the drill um there's quite a lot that goes into that i mean it, it's a yeah it's a lot of preparation and there's also important rules like um one stick for the day so if if the needle goes in and you fail to give the injection or draw the blood that's it for the day and the, and that's an agreement that you have with the animal um which you may have mm. to break in an emergency uh but uh yes so there's, there's so they know it's over with it's like that's right no matter how unpleasant it's just the one that's right yeah, yes that's yeah and that really helps in the continued willing participation um but yeah in terms of so you can go down the route of um classical conditioning in which there's uh, an association made between two things and so you could counter condition make something that is less pleasant into something that feels more pleasant and really the there's lots of quite scientific explanations of those terms but what we are aiming for is a change in the emotions associated with it mm-hmm. um not just a change in the behavior so i'm really interested in you know, if a horse is standing stock still, are they standing stock still, breathing, still aware of what's going on, um, thinking it through, or are they standing stock still about to leave, (laughs) or are they standing stock still already checked out, not even really here? Those three things are very different scenarios to be in and I don't feel I mean in an emergency it might be different but I don't feel like that is to me a satisfactory outcome of we got it done but there was all of this underlying emotional turmoil going on hey everyone a quick message to let you know about a really exciting limited time opportunity for learning at no extra cost So now you've heard me rave about the video classroom. It's my video training library, and it's where you go to see this podcast in action with videos on pretty much everything that I teach. But for May, June, and July, we are gonna be doing extra monthly live Q&A calls, and anyone who's in the classroom gets to attend at no extra cost. We've never offered this before. So it's a pretty cool opportunity. So this is such a great time to be able to speak with a real person, to get your questions answered, either about a particular video that you watched or a challenge that you're having with your horse. Now the video classroom, I think, is always the best deal. And for May, June, and July, it is going to be amazing. So go to dressagenaturally.net slash classroom and start your subscription today. There's always a one week free trial to check it out. Again, dressagenaturally.net slash classroom. Okay, now back to the pod. But the really powerful thing that I've been diving into is the operant conditioning. And that is where the animal, so the learner, becomes an operator in the process and they have some agency. And that's really transformative because um, just counter conditioning can sometimes break down when, you know, there's an there's an overwhelm in the system. Um, But the really powerful stuff is where they 
realize that they can also cue you. That requires um, a commitment on your part to honor that. That's really important. And again, there might be cases where in an emergency you're unable to in the same way, um, but they're amazingly forgiving. So you can rebuild if that is mm -hmm. the case. But yeah, in terms of preparation, I think that is the most powerful. But individual horses, you know, you have some that are pretty accepting and um, I don't know whether I like that word. Uh, <laughs> take things in their stride. <laughs> truly, yeah. truly take things in their stride. Except things you... one notch up from tolerating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I really meant accepting. I thought, yeah. think, I'm thinking of a horse that is in general um in their life is pretty um well equipped to absorb new things like that mm -hmm. and in in which case classical conditioning may well be enough for a preparation um you know like oh great i get a cookie and it's not that bad i i can have an injection mm -hmm. whereas you might have some other horses that are particularly sensitive or if there's been trauma where the operant conditioning is really needed because it's likely that just say feeding some treats or something is going to break down because they'll they'll blow mm -hmm. through that being something that will be helpful to them because their nervous system state won't be able to yeah it won't be in a receptive place for that mm -hmm. it's like yeah. the person with me just saying okay ready and mm -hmm. i go yes <laughs> yeah exactly rather than yeah. you know grabbing my arm and strapping it to the table or absolutely something. yeah and yeah. both situations happen in horses and you can you can teach a start signal so you can do mm -hmm. the okay ready yes proceed and then okay mm -hmm. ready no response or even you can teach a no uh don't proceed and mm -hmm. it's it, that's incredibly powerful yeah yeah that's that's interesting i haven't really I mean, I've played around a little bit with this, but I feel like I'm just at the beginnings of really diving into the details of the start, you know, those kind of signals, start and stop. Mm -hmm. um, even though I give my horses a lot of choice, like with bridling, you know, here it is. You want, They either put it on or they look away. And a lot of my horses now, like they'll look away, yawn, and then they're like, okay, I'm ready now. You know, yeah, and they yeah. put their head in it. And it's like, yeah, sure. You can take yeah. that time. Well, I, um, I would say that you're using them because you don't have mm. to teach them as a, you can teach them as a specific behavior, or you can mm -hmm. just incorporate being aware of, of what your horse does in a sequence before mm -hmm. they um, are, you know, happily committing themselves to something. Mm -hmm. And um, when you notice their natural no signals uh, or their natural yes signals, then you respond accordingly mm -hmm. and that's a huge part of attunement because yeah. they definitely Actually, notice i have a question yeah <laughs> all right so and this has come up sometimes so with the horse where i'm teaching um you know relax your neck down and i can reward that so i you know and i'll, I'll say that down and then hold and then reward that hold and then reward that and then at some point it's hold and then they get in the injection Am I, but now I'm like putting in something uncomfortable right when they did the thing that I was asking. And it, it feels a little bit um, like, well, why should they know? Now will they associate the head down with, oh, I'm about to get a needle. And I just kind of overcome that by doing a lot of heads down and only a 
small fraction of times there's something uncomfortable that happens there and that it's less uncomfortable because their neck is relaxed. So I kind of use that, but is that the way to, I feel a little bit like, oh man, I just, I told them it was going to be relaxed and then I give them the shot right at that moment. How do we make sure we're not, uh, yeah, that's, um, that's an excellent <laughs> question. So uh, two things. Yeah, one is that um, building a really strong reinforcement history with the that initial part of the behaviour. Um, and actually, I think in... So one particular animal trainer, um, Ken Ramirez, he mm-hmm. uses um, a 100 to 1 rule. So you do 100 gotcha. of the build-up to 1 needle <laughs> gotcha. um, so yeah there's it's a commitment to a lot of work on the the build-up the preparation yeah. and um, I, I usually tend to want to do it after the injection too I do a few more yes. head downs right afterwards so that it's not always ending on the yes <laughs> the one that hurt <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah okay. exactly um and then the the other thing is um I guess you could liken this to loading and traveling when there's a slight mm-hmm. delay between the build-up and the uh, unpleasant thing, then you can break that association somewhat. Uh, if a horse is, you know, fine with, well, I mean, hopefully horses are prepared for traveling in a way that they also understand it and feel safe and that it isn't too unpleasant. But mm-hmm. say, for example, you've got a really bumpy road that you have to go down it's no choice but after loading you have a really bumpy road to go down or windy for the first section to avoid that association with loading and i get bounced around you you would probably include a gap right so you'd have you'd load you'd wait a bit as long you know they're they're calm and then so it's not, they don't build that association. So it's not like, oh, when she asked me to put my head down, I'm going to get a shot. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, my head's down. Yay. That's right. And then a shot came along. <laughs> okay, yeah. I didn't really think about that, the delay. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's one way. I mean, um, you can't do too much of a delay if you're doing a start button type behavior because mm-hmm. the the understanding between you is... Uh, the horse says, okay, I'm queuing right. you now, now for the next bit. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. It d- depends a little bit which route you're going down, but that's that mm-hmm. could be an option. Yeah. No, that's that's super interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so wh- I guess one way is just to make this suggestion to the horse, and then I know there's going to be a shot coming, and the other is mm-hmm. to, uh, to say um, that that head down is actually the horse, that's the horse's cue for. Yes. I know, I know what's going to happen. And mm-hmm. I'm, I see it's going to be an injection. You're all standing in that place. I felt a little poke, you know, like mm-hmm. in a, the fake, I have a little fake poker. Yeah. And they still then offer that, not mm-hmm. from my cue necessarily, but from them. Do Is there a cue for that? Or is that, or am, am I waiting for them? Like yeah. I've already built that up and I'm saying, okay, when your head goes down, I know you're telling me mm-hmm. that you're ready. You can... There are various options there that you can choose from. So a head down is a really good one, a really good example. Um, that one actually is technically an anchor behavior. So um, they they continue with the behavior all through giving you permission. And it's, a, it's an active anchor behavior because um, they can choose, they, they're having to actively keep their head down 
during mm. it and any head raise is coming out of that anchor behavior so um if you were to approach them with the needle and they would put their head up then you pause you've re-established mm. the anchor behavior um a start button would be something you can either do something like touch an object or um well that would probably be the the main one or step onto a mat for example that could also okay. be considered an anchor behavior because they're on the mat throughout the only mm -hmm. thing is it's a bit of a it's a more of a passive anchor behavior once they're on it they're on it and it's more active to come out of it so they might mm -hmm. feel especially if they tend to go into freeze or depending on where you're standing they might for another reason beyond misunderstanding the behavior not step back off the mat and then you have a and then you have a misunderstanding so mm -hmm. um, that is one example but i probably wouldn't use that for an injection mm -hmm. um, but yeah something like a, a start button could be touching an object a known okay. object and then and then they know they learn that that's the sequence that happens i touch the object this happens therefore if i don't touch the object it's not coming so they have yeah. that control or you can use a a signal that they naturally give you so you might um build up a rhythm with say you feed them with you're standing maybe slightly in front of them you might feed them slightly to one side and then show them something that or or teach a nose target or something and you mm -hmm. build up that rhythm and they come to expect what's coming next and what you can do is gradually change the timing so that as they're say for example you were to choose a head position as your start signal then you actually change your timing to present the object as they're in that head position and you you gradually switch and then they realize that their head position is cueing that thing to appear and that's you building the start button so you could do that and then have a predictable okay. chain of events that happens after that okay and that and that can work even with something like an injection that might be physically just uh, uncomfortable they yeah, can, they'll still do that they can still understand they're like okay do it i'm ready even though they know it's going to be unpleasant just because that's built in so strong yeah it's um it's so interesting yeah so partly i guess it might be that the reinforcement is effective because it's maybe something okay. like a high value food reward but a note of caution about that would be that if they don't really feel safe, but they understand that that will be the reward, you can get some conflict and it can actually turn into a coercive training session. Inadvertently, yeah. you know, you're yeah. kind of you're um, so if there's any withholding of the food, for example. Um, so um, that's that's an important part of not causing conflict within them and frustration. And actually mm -hmm. that can be why things like aggression come up with using food in training because they, they're getting frustrated with, well, I don't understand the rules or this is not fair. You're withholding what, mm -hmm. what I, you know, I'm giving you behaviors and, and the reward isn't forthcoming. Um, so high value reinforces is good, but as long as they have a really solid understanding of uh, how to achieve that. And as long as you're really, really paying attention to their emotional state and how mm -hmm. they're learning and understanding. And then the other really important thing is that strong reinforcement history of the chain of events without the unpleasant thing at the end. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes it happens, but 
a lot of the time they don't have to get to that bit yeah um so th- so they know that you know um, it, this thing is not always queuing an unpleasant mm-hmm. end result it might come yeah. and then they they sort of can prepare themselves but the whole experience has so much of them participating in it i mean so different than you know, here comes the vet and now they're being Mm. restrained. And now this, you know, it just, even just to have that like process of communicating in the presence of a vet and a needle and the position just gives it so much more. And, you know, I I know that this is possible. I've seen videos of um, Jennifer Zellig's with her sea lions and the sea lion is, you know, at Liberty, (laughs) it's not being constrained. And it approaches, you know, she's there and a vet, uh, you know, sea lion dentist, and the sea lion opens its mouth from the queue and stands there for, I think, like 11 injections. It needed all these teeth pulled. 11, like multiple. And it, it stood there. It was there on cue, not restrained. And I thought, oh boy, (laughs) you know, I got a lot to learn. Um, So, you know, to see something like that is so inspirational of, of like what could happen if you take the time and build this cooperation and, you know, trust and feeling of safety. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Very, I, I don't think I would be able to do that. Like I need to be in the chair, <laughs> maybe not restrained, but anyway. Um, oh, I forgot one other technique that um, for those other human needle shy people out there that we can do with humans that maybe isn't possible with animals. But when the person's um, drawing, getting ready to draw my blood, I usually, I can use peer pressure. I usually say something like, uh, oh yeah, the last person who um, drew my blood, she was telling me about how there's a way you can insert the needle where it doesn't hurt as much. And then some of them get all proud and they're like, well, I want to do it even, oh yeah, if you make sure that the bevel edge is pointing this Mm. way and not that, you know. And, you know, so I've learned to do that and open up the possibility that there was a way for them to give me the shot where it would hurt less. Yes. And I've had people totally ignore me and jam it in there and it hurt the whole time. And Mm. uh, yeah, but for a lot of them, it, they kind of like start engaging and then they're proud of themselves because they want to be one of those people who knows how to (laughs) do it right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So maybe we can say that to vets. So like, oh, I I was reading about there's a way you can insert the needle where it doesn't hurt the horse as much (laughs) yeah 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 and sometimes actually just the choice of needle and syringe size and um how quickly you inject or or draw blood can really affect that but you touched on a really important thing with the sea lion um that just made me think of it and then you started talking about pain so this is really important um another thing that i dive into on the course is uh, how pain actually works and the fact that there is a huge amount of emotional influence on it. And if you feel safe, you actually are likely to feel less pain or feel less of an unpleasant emotional response to that pain. You're, You're being held by somebody supportive in that experience. It's a lot less aversive. Even if it's still, you know, there's a sensation because... So the definition of pain includes the fact that it's not just a sensory experience, it's an emotional one. Mm-hmm. And you can you can lessen you can lessen the sensory part of it with things like your injection technique, like you said, ice packs beforehand, nice relaxed muscle, sometimes a little bit of massaging the area. 
paying attention to areas where they might be painful you know don't choose a spot on their neck where they've obviously got some discomfort already all of that kind of thing and then the emotional part of it is that them feeling safe and understanding the process and um feeling that they have the space to say oh wait I'm not ready yet and Mm -hmm. with this that sea lion I'm sure that a large part of that is just building up that huge bank of experiences where they knew that they could have some agency in the process yep. and so the the choice becomes yeah I, I'll do that for you <laughs> yeah and, I mean Jennifer talks all the time about the importance of the relationship absolutely in the train in the training yeah. yeah yeah and sometimes there might be situations where um there's this concept of the um like relationship bank balance you know you might have to make a bit of a withdrawal but it is all of those deposits they really do make a huge difference absolutely the the connection of emotions and pain reminds me of um i did the tony robbins thing where you walk across the the hot coals oh yeah and um yeah and it i mean it's pretty cool so you're priming your brain the whole thing you're in the moment you walk across so i walked across the coals and you know at the end you brush your feet off because as soon as you're across you're you come out of Mm. the state right so um but you're still kind of high from the whole energy i mean you're still there so you know walked across the coals and i remember feeling like i had a little one stuck between my toes we got it out and i was like i'm flying you know i'm amazing rock star and then met up with my husband and we get to the car and you know we're both just like oh my god oh my god oh my god it was awesome and uh get in the car and then there's like a little traffic jam getting out of the parking lot you know there's always someone who's just in the wrong place or going too slow or blocking everybody else and i remember like i got out of state and i got like a little come on dude like get going i came out of my um, that um, my emotional state switched and all of a sudden my my toe started burning i was like oh my god I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have a blister, whatever. And I was like, oh wait, like what just happened here? And so we like, we were in the car, like making our move, you know, <laughs> we like put ourselves back in the state and then it stopped hurting. I was like, what an excellent okay, example. Yeah. that was one of the best lessons of, you know, when I got cranky, everything hurt more. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and when I was feeling like, you know, a warrior. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. I literally didn't feel it. That mm-hmm. was, it was so, um, yeah, it was uh, uh, that lesson was unavoidable because it was like the difference between searing pain and nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. an excellent example. <laughs> so I don't know how we help <laughs> our horses. Just yeah, I mean, I think you know what you're saying. There's just so many, so many factors, and I, I love that you know you're bringing in this really holistic view of it because yeah you can google some things online and find a video of a little technique but it's the context and the intention and the history and the relationship and all those things that add up so i love that you have this resource um so for anybody listening who wants to find out more about this now if anybody's listening to this episode on August 25th on the Friday, the day that it's released, you're in luck because I think tomorrow, August 26th, (laughs) um, you're doing a webinar on this. And then, so I guess just let us know, let people know, like, how can you get on that webinar and then where to find out more about the online course and uh, yeah. Yeah. So 
It is accessible via my website, which is www.nurturingnatureequine.co.uk. And you can find all of the information on um, the page, which is forward slash learn hyphen online. Or you can look at um, on the homepage, you can look at uh, work with me and upcoming events and you can find it that way. Either way will take you, you can find a link to that webinar. Cool. And I'll put um, that link in the show notes for anybody perfect. You can find this, uh, you know, scroll down for show notes or look on my website. There's, there's a spot for them. So, but maybe yeah. say that you say your website again, one more time. Yes. www.nurturingnatureequine.co.uk. Awesome. And yeah, that uh, um, forward slash learn hyphen online will take you to the needle shyness online course information. Um, so currently there's the link to that webinar on there. Um, there will be a recording available to anybody who signs up for that webinar beforehand. I then put the recordings of those things. So I generally do a monthly Q&A call on various topics. I put them on my membership. Um, but if you miss it and you still want some information, you can also actually find a webinar for sale. Um, so it's I call it part A of the course because it does include some techniques which are not quite as in-depth as the, the part B, which is a full course. Part A is just um, an hour-long webinar, and you can find oh, that awesome. on there as well. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so you can, yeah, get a, get started on it and then, and then go in and do part B if if you want. So exactly. awesome. Thank you so much, Lily, for taking this time, even you, though you just literally flew in last night. And I know the jet lag and culture shock maybe from coming from a remote camping at 10,000 and yeah, a bit, yeah. <laughs> back at sea level <laughs> in, in society. <laughs> yeah. Um, but super, super helpful. Thank you again so much. And um, yeah, I'll put links to your Facebook page and your website in the show notes. And uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, you are welcome. I enjoyed it. If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse move in harmony and enjoy the process. Hey, I just wanted to take a quick second to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by the Dressage Naturally Video Classroom. Yeah, that's my program. So if you love this podcast, you will really love the video classroom. It's where you can see me coaching students, narrating my rides on horses, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and so much more. So let's see all these words put into action. Check it out with a one week free trial and then it's just $29 a month after that. So even if you only watch one video a month, it is totally worth it. And we add new content every month. So what are you waiting for? Go to dressagenaturally.net slash classroom. Okay, now let's get back to the pod.